Welcome to the Happy Sensory Corner in Special Education Podcast, where we ask the leaders in special education to share their insights experience, and experiences with the audience in an effort to better understand how to support students in special education. Before we start our interview, I'd like to introduce our guests. Diana, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. My name is Diana Fannin, and I am currently the Director of Special Education at uh, Culver City Unified School District, sorry, in Culver City, California. There's more to that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It's great You're to welcome. have you here. Thanks. We're also here with Claudia Pameres, the creator of Sensory Enrichment Therapy. She is the Chief Science Officer at Mendability, where we provide a unique program called Sensory Enrichment Therapy. It's an evidence-based brain stimulation program to improve the behavior regulation and learning abilities of all students, especially those who struggle the most. Claudia will be doing a short training on sensory enrichment protocol at the end of our interview, so please stick around. I am Joe Cambridge. I am the Director of Public Relations here at Mendability, and I just really, really love to talk to people. <laughs> all right. Diana, would you mind telling us just a little bit about what inspired you to get into special education? I would love to. So I have I had a little bit of a, a varied kind of work experience. I was in pharmaceutical sales for a little bit. I worked as a research associate at the Neuropsychiatric Institute, but I ended up working as a teacher and then continued my path down special education as a school psychologist, as a supervisor of school psychologist, and then working in dispute resolution. And the real inspiration for me getting into special education was my own disability. So I have uh, epilepsy and I was diagnosed at age 17. And I think I always wanted to be able to work with, with children and families and to be able to kind of provide them with my own experience and my own insight. And, and even if I didn't, just knowing that I was working with them, even if, because I don't share my story with everyone, but when I'm able to, it's, I feel really fortunate to, to have that opportunity to work with children and families um, when I didn't have that because my diagnosis came too late. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's so, it's inspiring to, to hear about more people overcoming the uh, learning difficulties and life difficulties that we face in order to make changes in other people's lives and, and bring them up. Because I was pretty severely ADHD as, as a kid to the point where it was, it was really difficult to, to, to focus in class. It was really, really difficult to, to, to focus on homework and it, manifested itself in just being very, very scattered and in many, many different directions, um, which as a salesman and as a people person and a talker, it's great because I can just skip from subject to subject. I can cover all kinds of different conversation points. And it it's what made me want to work with Mendability so much was that it gives me the opportunity to try to assist kids that have the same problems now that I had when I was in high school. I love that. And I think you actually just hit the nail on the head, which is using whatever is going on with kids, finding a way to use it and and build on it and find it, find a way to capitalize on it. So kudos to you. I love that. 
thank you. I appreciate that. And, yeah. and, and I'm wondering what your experience has been like being in the education sphere on the other side of that. Um, and what kind of challenges, uh, you faced as a, as a, as an educator and what kind of challenges your students have faced? Well, I think that there, there are so many challenges. I think the, the single biggest challenge that I see for our educators and just the school system as a whole has been staffing. And there's no, there's no quick fix to that. So I think that moving along from that and just pretending that it's not there, I think that our probably the biggest challenge is finding finding a way to identify in the classroom. So finding a way to see themselves in the classroom and find it in, in their teachers and in their friends. So when we have children with disabilities who may be struggling in the classroom or who may be um, feeling like they can't learn or they can't do the work or they can't um, uh, sit still or, or wh whatever the challenge is that's maybe related to their disability. I think it's it's finding a way to see themselves or be seen by by the teacher and to feel that someone can say, oh, hey, that's not that bad. That's not that big of a deal. We can fix that. And I don't mean fix the disability. I mean, provide an accommodation or offer a strategy or say, hey, I've got a different chair for you to sit in, or I've got a different, I've got headphones for you to wear. I've got a quick little accommodation or a quick little fix. You know, so I, I think it's it's always a struggle to um just to feel like they're they're enough or they're being seen. That that's the best way that I can think of to see it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it totally makes sense. Cause I remember in in the this is gonna sound really, really sad. The 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 te the only teacher that I have really definite memories of from high school was from my history teacher who believed in me and would take time out of his day to try to interact with me in any way that would make me feel included and seen and as part of the system. And it's why I'm obsessed with history now as an adult is because he cemented his class into my mind as the one that mattered the one that I needed to pay attention in because the teacher wasn't just a teacher. He was someone who cared about me and where I was going in life. hundred percent. I love that. What kind of, of, of programs and, and ideas have you, uh, have you implemented or, or tried to implement or thought about implementing in your district? So one of the first things when I started in this district, and it's now been four and a half years, when I came, they were, one of the reasons they hired me was because they were looking to move toward being a more inclusive school district. So that is what we've been working on for the last four and a half years is making, allowing there to be more inclusive supports and services so that our students with disabilities are able to be educated in the same classroom as their neurotypical peers. So that has been our labor of love, my labor of love over the last, um, my, my entire tenure in this district. And that there, there are other things that we're working on, but that by, by far has been the biggest um, 
the biggest uh, challenge and probably our biggest accomplishment, even though we're not there yet. So that that's probably the the shortest answer I can give that what we've been working on in our, in our little district. And we are little. We're only we have five elementary schools, uh, a middle school, a high school and an adult transition program, along with uh, some preschool classes for our students. I, I <laughs> sorry. I I live in in Muskegon, and our our district is one elementary school, one high school, one middle school. <laughs> so, okay. I love I love that though. Is is the 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 level at which you're at, where it's like, yeah, this is small and manageable, and we're working through it, and we're implementing things, and it's like that's inspirational. Is that anyone can other people can get to that level of, yeah, we're managing, we're working things in, we're going to make improvements. So what kind of, you gave me the short answer. What, what are the, what's the nitty gritty? What are the little details? What, what are the, the small things that you implement? So the, the small things is we, we started, you know, we, we worked kind of grade by grade and we worked up from elementary and we now have all of our school, all of our elementary schools have all students able to be educated and receiving services in their general education classes. So they are general education students first. We wanted all of our students to be considered general education students first. And that was really a mindset shift that we wanted. And as part of that, we developed a board policy. So we have an inclusive practices board policy. And we wanted to try to really focus on that special education it was there they are services not a place and so uh, i think that is something that we're continuing to work on and what we also heard from our staff is that tra more training was needed and so because we do have general education teachers who are willing and they're in it with us and we've had some really beautiful feedback from our general education teachers about how they've become better teachers and they've had experiences with students that they would never have had before. And then we've had more specific feedback about how they don't feel qualified to, to work with some of the students who are in their, their classes. And so that was feedback to us as the special ed department and, and leadership in general that we need to make sure we're providing much more specific and much more robust training. And that is something that we've continued to work on. And so most recently in November, we had a, a district-wide professional development full day dedicated to inclusive practices. And that was, we had three different hour sessions in the morning where they each had 12 different sessions to choose from. So that was our, our biggest undertaking yet. And it was not perfect, but it was it was really good. We did a really good job. And um, so that's kind of what we've been taking the feedback very, very seriously to make sure that our teachers have agency in this um, because it's really important. I think that's the maybe the best piece of feedback that I've gotten is that the teachers are the ones and I. And I knew this, by the way, but I think it's important for everyone to hear that teachers are on the front lines, teachers are in the classroom, and teachers are the ones who are working with the students. And so whatever we can do to empower our teachers and to hear what they're saying 
and to implement what they're asking for, even if it's only 90% of the way, it, it makes a big difference. Um, I mean, I was a teacher and I'm not anymore, but I, I remember those days and it's, it's, it is really the hardest job. And if people didn't know, they knew after COVID that uh, the teachers are, are doing the really, really hard work. Right. And, oh, yeah. you know, so we're trying really, really hard to hear what our teachers are asking for and to do the best that we can to, to collaborate with them. And I think, um, the other thing is, is we're still working on this piece of it is to really find a way to give them more time, our, our gen ed teachers and our special ed teachers to work together. I think that's the piece, maybe the biggest piece that we're still working on is to find a way for them to plan together. I feel like it's less alienating uh, to not be separated from the rest of the students, that you still get to be a normal part of the classroom you are just another student and it allows you to better put together a friend group and better experience what school is supposed to be like as, as a part of a large group. Um, when it comes to um, kind of sharing training between, um, between special education teachers and your, your um, normal educators, what um what kind of uh what kind of protocols or, or or programs do do you use in order to help share this information and encourage uh the melding of the two very different lines of thought so that's that's a good question and it's something that we shifted a little bit I want to say it was last year, it might have been the year after COVID, that we shifted how our training worked, where we began including our special education teachers in all of the trainings that our gen ed teachers were receiving. Because previously they weren't being trained in all the curricular trainings and all like, you know, whether it's Fontness of the Pinal or whichever, whichever trainings that our gen ed teachers were receiving, that it wasn't standard for our special ed teachers to be trained. So now we have shifted to that and they're being trained on all of the standard math, English language arts, whatever the curricular trainings are, every single teacher is getting those trainings. And then when we train for whether it's something specific, if it's something specific to special ed or an IEP, that will be just for our special ed teachers because it's about writing an IEP. So we'll pull them out or we'll do it after school and we'll pay them. Um, and then when it's related to inclusion and inclusive practices, that's where we're trying to do district wide. And so then we have everyone who gets those trainings and that's what we've worked with our, we have a contract with inclusion consultants. We've created new positions um, for inclusion facilitators. So we have one elementary, one middle school and one high school, and that's a new position as of this year. And then we've worked um, to just try to make sure that our gen ed teachers in particular are feeling more supported and uh, we're trying to in improve and increase the amount and type of training that they're receiving so that it's not limited to special education teachers because then what happens is with the burden on them, they are, their time ends up being stretched too thin to either only teach the children, which then doesn't end up feeling like inclusion anymore, 
because they're only taught by one person, even though they're in a general education class, or they end up having to teach the gen ed teacher who then teaches the special, the student with an IEP. So we've had to really try to figure out how to do all of this. And it's, you know, I know it's not new, but it, sometimes it feels like it's new. So luckily by having consultants who've done this before with other districts, they've helped us a little bit kind of try to streamline our process. And again, like I said, we're, we're getting there. We're, you know, but tweaks along the way, it's kind of like, you know, making, making little changes as we go and trying really hard, like I said, to listen to our teachers. That's as much as we can, right? Within there's all the other things you have to consider, right? Which is funding and staffing and all those things you wish you didn't have to consider. But unfortunately, they're a, a real and necessary factors to uh, to consider. So we've talked about this from the the the, the teacher level of kind of inclusion and and meshing of of the two different lines of thought. What does this look like from the student's perspective? How does this change the experience for them? So I think it's a little bit different at every school site, but I think academically, I think it is, it has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, we have our first students who were able to experience this are now in eighth grade and they'll be going on to high school. And so we have a handful of students who have been, when they might have otherwise been recommended for a separate classroom, have been in gen ed classes and are now in co-taught classes in the middle school. And so we have students who are, who have peers who have both other students with, with disabilities or IEPs who are their peers and also have neurotypical peers. So that's the first thing that I think has changed that their exposure to um, to other students has changed, and particularly in middle school, it's it's such a big campus and it's such a um, a varied student body and diverse student body, and they are exposed to a ton of of peers and their social experience has changed drastically, and then academically, they have been. It's some of our students are may not have made more significant progress than they would have made otherwise simply because of their starting point, but they have made at least as much progress as they would have anyway. But then you, they have more social progress than they would have. Um, other students have made significantly more academic progress simply because there were maybe no limitations. I was gonna say higher expectations, but sometimes I think it's the converse, which is there were no limitations. And I think there aren't even necessarily people who know they're putting, I, I don't think people know they're putting limitations sometimes on kids mm. and it just maybe happens maybe accidentally or incidentally when they're in a class where there aren't any peers like them or there are peers who are much higher ability than they are, there isn't anyone to compare them to. So the only person to compare them to is themselves. And we have seen a couple of our kids become, um, not become, make much more progress than I think anyone might have expected. So I don't have 
one of the things that is on our list to do, one of it's a growing list. As, as I sit here telling you about this, this list is getting <laughs> longer and longer. Maybe we want to cancel this podcast. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I would love to do is to go back and look over our data over the last couple of years to see, to actually have hard data to look at because I don't right. have it in front of me. Uh, COVID interrupted it a little bit. I'm, I'm going to blame COVID. That That's okay, right? We can still blame. <laughs> yeah. so, it's not too far past. We can still blame COVID. Um, but to, to actually see where some of our students were and where they are now, because we have anecdotally, I have a lot of families who have reported being really, really happy with it. But we do still have options for the students and the families who don't want to, because at least for now, we want to offer the full continuum of placements and the full continuum of options. And so we do try to keep a limited number of, of the separate classrooms uh, as long as our families are still interested in that. And uh, as long as we're still working out the uh, the proverbial kinks in our in, in everything. So. When I think about inclusion from the student level, as far as challenges go, uh, my when I grew up, I was in a, a, a small school district um, and we we our, our, our faculty rather were starting to, to really work on inclusion and trying to work um, all of the students in together. And I remember that there were some some kids in my grade that really struggled behaviorally to not just focus but to 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 not interrupt the rest of the class or to interrupt the rest of the school. Um, and I think about often what could have been done to try and help those kids fit in better with their peers, to fit in better with their teachers, to, to, to not struggle so much uh, just being a part of the school. And I'm wondering um, if you have faced similar challenges uh, uh, when it comes to, to starting to, to work on inclusion? Uh, the simple, the very short answer to that is yes, 100%. Um, we we are constantly working on on behavior challenges. And I, but I don't think, I don't know that it's specifically related to inclusion. Uh, I think it's always been a little bit of a challenge. It was, you know, the first year, um, there, there are two things that I learned in my past that became in my past, you know, careers or before I became what I am now. When I started teaching, it was my first year and I was a brand new teacher, had no idea what I was doing. And somebody said to me, a, a veteran teacher, or there was like a poster up or something, but it it worked for me when I when I when it came to me was we don't expect students to start school knowing, you know, their their ABCs. Why would we expect them to know how to behave? Right. And and so it may be a famous quote that I'm not attributing to somebody, but whatever it is, it it's something that worked with me. And then as a school psychologist from the behavior lens is that behaviors communication. Right. And so and, and students may be communicating that they want attention. They may be dysregulated. They may be um, they may be mad. They may but they're communicating something. It's not just because we, we get some people who will say that 
well, you know, he's just being a pain in the butt or he's just, well, maybe that's the outcome, but that's not the why, right? That's not the real reason for it. Or that may be how you perceive it, but there's much more that lies beneath, right? There's much more going on. There may be something, it, it may seem like nothing, but there's so much more happening. And so I think what I sort of feel like is my mission is to get everyone to understand behavior, right? Like I'm not yeah. a behaviorist. I don't have my BCBA, but I always had probably what was an annoying amount of patience for the kids who were, who didn't want, who like teachers were, were bothered by in class, you know, I was like, send them to my office. I'll, I'll take them because there's a, there's a reason for it. There's a why for it. And particularly with our younger kids or the kids who are very, very dysregulated, there's something there, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we just have to figure out either how to get them to calm down so that we can help them. And, or we have to just figure out how to get them to be able to communicate with us. You know, we have kids who are not speaking. We have kids who sign. We have kids who use devices to communicate. We have kids who would rather write it. So there's all kinds of ways to get at the why. We just have to figure it out. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part. Now, I have not figured this out yet. I don't have an answer for it all. And behavior will forever be the, the thing that I think gets in the way of, of, of teaching right like it, it's the thing that makes it hard for teachers and and they're and and 100 right rightfully so but we've gotta I, I if i can just get people teachers administrators to just pause and say okay i get i'm frustrated but there's something else going on so let's just figure it out or try or maybe there's somebody else who can take a break and and be with a kid to try to figure it out then I feel like I've won, <laughs> you know, or, or for that kid, I've won, you know, it's, it's not a battle, it's not a war, but, but for that child, you know, if I can get somebody to just take a pause and say something else is happening here, then, then I've done a good job for that day. I like that. The, the, the attitude of, of patience of, of patience sometimes. conquering all. <laughs> oh yeah. It is. <laughs> it's hard. Some of those kids make it hard on you. <laughs> Speaking of which, do you have, I know uh, other educators love love these kinds of stories. Do you have a favorite horror story or victory story that has really stuck out in your career? So I have I have one story that I tell all the time, and I think people probably get annoyed because it was from like 10 years ago. But I have one story about, it's not really a horror story or a victory story. It's just one of my favorite kid stories. And this is one of the stories that I tell because it, it's one of those, I have like, I had an unending amount of patience for a particular kid. Um, but he was, you know, my, my kid who would go to class and somebody would tell him, you know, thanks for showing up. So he'd bail. And, and I, I worked in high schools a lot. So they were always my, my favorite kids. And then I got a call one day and they were like, you know, you need to come. He's, you know, you have a kid on the roof. And I was like, what? And when they told me who it was, I was like, no, no, I promise he's fine. You know, being in my position now, I know why they had to like call the ambulance and everything. But at the time I was like, he's not going to do anything. And 
so I finally, I get out there and I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, what's going on here? Cause you know, I was in my twenties at the time. No, I was in my, I don't know when it was. I won't, I won't talk about when it was cause I don't want to give my age away. <laughs> um, I'm too old for that. But so when I finally get to him, I was like, what are you doing? They're called, there's an ambulance coming. There's a fire truck coming. What's going on? He's like, I just, I needed space. <laughs> so I tell people, cause I knew he was totally fine. I knew everything was fine. But I, I tell that story a lot because I'm like, again, you really don't know what's going on. Like things are not as they seem that I, I knew that he was going to be fine. Nobody else did. But also the kids also don't get how a little thing that they do sets this whole chain reaction in motion. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand where their brain is. <laughs> like he climbed up on top of a gym to get space. And to us as adults, it makes no sense. But when you hear it and you know him, it makes total sense. Um, why couldn't he like go to a, the PE field and get space? I don't know. Um, but that's, it's one of the stories I like to tell because I loved that kid so much. And uh, it's just, it's not a success, not a failure, just a story that yeah. sticks with me after all these years. I can understand his line of thought though. There's literally no possible larger space than there is to be on top of something looking down at everything right. and he can tell nobody's going to come get him nobody's going to bother him he was good <laughs> <laughs> so as a as a final question what is one piece of advice that you would give to educators across the country one piece of advice uh i would say it's it's Keep your focus on the kids. Remember why you do it. If you find yourself having too many conversations about adults, bring it back. We are here for the kids. It's why we do this. And especially in a job like mine, you'll find that you get caught up in conversations that are about adults. Try as hard as you can to bring it back to the kids. That's why we're here. It's why we're all here. It's why we got into doing it. True words. I've never. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Claudia, has our conversation made you think of anything? Too many things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just in awe by your desire to have people know, people learn that what is going on is only the outside of the problem, is only the visible part. And if you share the knowledge with all the teachers they may look at things so differently. And uh, training is the key. Um, you're really on the path. It's amazing to see all the steps you've taken, but also to see the background. You know why you're there and you want everybody to know that they're here for the kids. So I was very touched by your personal story. Um, I've worked with a lot of children with uh, the same neurological issue. And uh, from my perspective in neuroscience, we say, okay, epilepsy is just an electrical mistake. So what we find uh, when we see children having uh, either seizure at school or having to have so much medication to slow down their brain that they cannot learn anymore. Um, I want to share uh, 
some information about the brain. One of the things that causes the behavior issues or a seizure is serotonin. Okay, serotonin is the one of the messengers in the brain, and you know already. So I'm just sharing with the people who don't yet know that when a kid explodes because so much information has just made everything a mess, um, it's just because serotonin has gradually decreased, is not released as well. The kid cannot learn. The kid cannot understand what you're saying the way you're saying it. So uh, if we know that is it's one of the issues, and in the case of uh, epilepsy, it is one of the causes, it's drop of serotonin, and so the electrical message goes wrong, um, then we want to know, okay, what can we do besides medicating? And uh, the teacher is in that situation where, the, okay, they feel like they are therapists in the classroom if there are children with a lot of problems and they don't really know, okay, how do I handle it and I handle the other children? So the good news is, well, the bad news is, as you know, there is no medication to improve serotonin um, release and production, but nature will do it for us. And one of the things that uh, we know uh, in sensory enrichment is that there is information we can propagate in the classroom that will make the brain of all the children produce more serotonin and release more, like release more at that moment and produce more if you do it every day. And that simple thing, if I was asking you to guess, you would already tell me what it is because I can feel that you know a lot, is uh, playing music. Playing music when the teacher knows by the corner of the eye, she can see this kid is getting agitated. I cannot take care of him right now because I'm teaching the group. Uh, but if I let it go up, he will explode and I can't teach anymore. But setting up, simply putting music, and we have devices now that cost almost nothing. And you can tell, I think there are names. They give names to those little things. Uh, play uh, Vivaldi uh, Spring or Autumn. Or, and suddenly all the children's brain releases more serotonin. They don't know it, but some <laughs> the teacher will see the shoulders drop gently and their breathing is slowing down. And the little kid who was getting overwhelmed suddenly is feeling better. As she is playing this piece of music for like we need two minutes. When we talk about the brain and with sensory enrichment, it's always minutes of intervention, not hours. And it's very simple, very because teachers don't have time, as you right. said, to do anything that will take a lot of energy and equipment and stuff. So music is playing. So that teacher is going to walk slowly towards the child who is really feeling up in the air and is going to give him something really precious, very complicated, and I've shown it sometimes in my in the trainings, an ice cube. Like it's a fake one <laughs> that I use um to show because it will be gone. Um either 
uh, an ice cube. We have it. We know we may have children that may need it. Ice is a danger message for the brain. And if we hold ice, suddenly our brain settles. Everything that was going in all direction is refocused to save the life of that person. But it's we give it to him and we can give him a, um, a wet tissue, anything that is a different temperature than the, the classroom. And the brain is going to refocus on that information that is overriding everything. And now music, calmer brain, we can go back to teaching. So training is what we do. Like really, we share all what we can with teachers, with school, because there is no other way to succeed is that we all know how we can help the kid. And we know that, in fact, the brain is a very simple thing, that there are very easy ways uh, to help the kid, either with a visible special need or an annoying special need, uh, as Joseph was telling us his story. Uh, we can help as long as we know how does the brain work in the big lines, what are the things that we can do that are quick, very efficient, and will never have side effects, will just help gradually every day uh, those children. So training is really the key. I, I just love to hear you. It's so encouraging because uh, I believe that knowledge is going to be the solution. It's not staffing more. Is having people feel they know enough that they can do it. And then they can see the kid as the kid is, not as he shows. So that was my little training for today and encourage me that. by what you have said. Um, and then I think in, in terms of, I, I could see it being used for whole classrooms um, and being able to be used quickly, which is the goal. Um, and I love it. Excellent. <laughs> Great. So I'm grateful. I just want to thank you all. This was such a pleasure. And I, I was, I'm blown away too by the training that was provided on the spot. I'm, I'm so impressed by that and the amount of knowledge and science and background that came with it. So thank you. Thank you. That was an unexpected bonus. Um, thank you all for your time and letting me share a little bit about uh, about our little district so or maybe not so little district um but but thank you again it was it was a real pleasure well thank, thank you, you Diana I think. thank you so much